Okay. Um, I'm going to read this poem. I'm going to lighten things up for just a minute. I'm going to read this poem, and I'm going to talk this morning about um, principles of a new season. Felt like the Lord dropped this word in my heart a few weeks ago, and feel so just knew He was calling it for this for this time for this time, hour. But I'm going to read this poem. Some of y'all might have heard it before. I might have even read it here before. It was it's one of my favorites. It was six men of Indostan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant, and happening to fall, against his broad and sturdy side at once began to bawl, God bless me, but the elephant is very like a wall. The second feeling of the tusk cried, Ho, oh, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp. To me, tis mighty clear. The wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, thus boldly up and spake. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out an eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain, quoth he. Tis clear enough the elephant is very like a tree. I'll get the picture going on here. The fifth who chanced to touch the ear said, E'en the blindest man can tell what this resembles most. Deny the fact who can. The marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth no sooner had begun about the beast to grope than seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right and all were in the wrong. So often theologic wars, the disputants, I ween, rail on in utter ignorance of what each other mean and prate about an elephant not one of them has seen. Is that not good? Is that not who we are as the body of Christ? That's not who we are in the world. It's in our culture. And that's okay in the sense that you, the body, the, the scripture says we are members of the body and we are all different members of one body. So we are going to have different perceptives, perceptions. We are going to see things differently. God's going to speak to us and show us things that the whole body needs. So not only do we need to, which has been a huge emphasis on, and it's so good, to be bold and free, to express who the Lord has made us to be, to be free in the things he showed us, to express our gifts and what he's teaching us. But we have also got to have ears to hear what others are saying. Whether we can see it or completely understand it or not, there's a witness of the Holy Spirit inside of us that's greater than our mind, greater than our understanding, that says yes and amen, and it aligns with the word. And we watch for that. And the essence of spiritual maturity happens right there. Now we're going to go through some, some scriptures. I, um, you know, I said this before. I, I sat under a teacher for years in Dublin. He was an amazing teacher. He could take one scripture and preach three weeks out of one scripture and just bring out the jewels of the scripture. Well, I'm not like him. It takes 20 scriptures to preach one message for me. So what I did is I put them all on PowerPoint, or we'd be here till 3 just going through the Bible looking for our scripture. So I have them on um, PowerPoint. So let's pull that first scripture up. 
principles for a new season. Then Jesus gave this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment, for then the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. By the way, these are all, all out of New Living Translation. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Luke 5, 36 through 37. So guilty. Cornell and I have these discussions, him being a millennial and me being senior citizen, about things in the church and how things are done. I love the way things, you know what I'm saying? And having to adjust and understand the mindset and the culture of the millennials that even shifts some things in the church. And it's not bad. And it's not wrong. But I love that old wine. And I've had to consciously make decisions to move into the new. Into the new move of the spirits. And the new things God's saying. And the new ways he's working in the body of Christ. I've had to make decisions to do that and not get stuck in an old way of thinking. Um, C.S. Lewis, I, I forgot to look this quote up. C.S. Lewis, many of you know, is a great author and in, in, in a in Christian scholar, uh, but, and I can't say it exactly, but he has this great quote that talks about how children are very content playing in the mud and having no idea that just beyond, you know, if they just get up and move on farther, there's a whole ocean out there to play in. And we get content sitting and playing in the mud when there's a great ocean out there that God's saying, let's get up and keep going. Let's get up and keep going. Yeah, I know the mud's fun. <laughs> you know, I know we have fun in the mud, but there's a whole ocean out there that's limitless. God is limitless. God is limitless. God is limitless. And he's asking us to go on. And the next scripture, the next scripture, um, if we can turn to that, of the increase of his government, Jesus' government, which is also the word for empire, and peace, there will be no end, Isaiah 9, 7. Increase comes from the word that means grow up. There's never an end to growing up as a believer. Never. And just like in the natural, we change as we grow up. Teenager doesn't look like the toddler anymore. Doesn't act like the toddler anymore. Doesn't whine and hopefully, we still all do. To a degree, I guess. Guilty, you know. But we tend to do less than having pits, you know, fits about getting our way. You know what I'm saying? Hopefully. But anyway, we, we, we never cease from growing up. We're the same person. The teenager is the same person, but they're different. They've matured. So we must also mature. And the Bible says, and I didn't write this, write this scripture out, we must be, become or constantly be like a child to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, that's not talking about, if you read it all, study it out and, and read through the context of the whole New Testament, just getting born again. That is a constant, if we want to stay teachable. You know, and that word, you must become as a child, in the Greek, um, which the New Testament is, as you all know, the New Testament that we're reading in English was, trans, was originally written in Greek. And so the words are taken, the English words from the Greek. But sometimes they're not exactly translated. You know what I'm saying? For instance, if I could go to another country and say I live in a home. Well, a home could be a trailer, 
could be a condominium, it could be a cabin, it could be a house, you know what I'm saying? But I'm going to use the word home. Well, it's that way in the, in the New Testament many times when words are translated like child is one of them. There's actually some different Greek words that the original Greek is using a different word. It really, if you're led by the Holy Spirit, the God will tell you what it means. You don't have to be a Greek scholar or know all that to still get what the scriptures are saying. I want to make that real clear. But it's so fun when you actually do see it and, and it just brings more understanding. So that when it says you don't, when you become like a child, that word child is the Greek word paideum, and it means, in essence, it's referring to a child between the, the ages of first grade and sixth grade, and, and, the, and, and the very essence of what it means. It's that time of, in their season when they know that they don't know, and they go to school realizing they need to hit, listen to the teacher and learn. They realize, I don't know. That's the stance you have to stay in to increase into the kingdom of God. No matter how much you know, how much we know, always know we don't know to enter into the fullness of the kingdom. Because you know when you hit 12, this is a natural, you know, natural progression. So I don't want to demean anybody for this because we've all done it. We've all been there. But when you hit 12 in our natural development as people, as, as humans, our reasonings begin to kick in independent of what somebody else, and that's good, and that's normal, that's healthy, it needs to happen. But because you're now coming to your own conclusions and your reasonings have kicked in, and you're like, wow, I just saw this and figured this out for yourself, you think you're always right. You know it all. At 12, I remember that was perfectly illustrated. This, several years ago, there was um, a family in our church who had several children, and, and, and uh, one of the girls, who's like number three or four down the line, had just turned 12, and her big sister and her, the teenager, and I'm sorry, honey, this is not directed toward Gigi, and you know that, okay? This is very normal. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> well, it's every 12-year-old. It is in the sense that it's every, and that's good, and there's nothing wrong with, you know what I'm saying? Your reasoning's kicking in. But, but, but what's, what's not healthy, and it's understandable, though, is that you don't know that. And so I remember this illustrate this one time. It was a family in our church, and, um, and the girl had just turned 12, and, she, and, she was, and her older sister was like 16 or 17, and they were getting in an argument, you know, in the bedroom, and the 16-year-old said, oh, you just think you know everything. And the girl, just as serious as could be, said, well, I am 12 now, you know. And, and, and in her mind, yes, I am 12. I know. And that's, you know, that's under, you know what I'm saying? Well, we do the same thing. How many years have I been saved? How many times have I read the Bible? How many teachings have I sat on? How many, how many Bible schools have I been to? Dear Lord. It's embarrassing because I don't know more than I do, <laughs> to be honest. And so we do the same thing. So we've got to walk in a place of humility, you know, um, it's interesting to me that the per first public teaching that Jesus did after coming out of the wilderness, the first public teaching he did, he sat down on, a mat and he, my, on the mount and he taught the Beatitudes, which is like a lot of biblical scholars think that was the essence of everything he went about teaching and preaching all of his life on the earth was found in the Beatitudes the essence of it. And the very first thing he taught about, if you're, and what Jesus was doing, well, I'm going to, nope, I'm not going to go there because I'm going to get ahead of myself, but I'll get back there, okay? I'll get back there. No, I'm right here. Paradigms, paradigms. What Jesus was doing was changing paradigms. God is all about breaking paradigms. You know when Noah, when he told Noah to build the ark because there was rain coming, it never rained before. 
It had never rained. The mist had come from the ground to water all the plants, and it had never rained. But God prophesied, saw something that was coming, and prepared Noah for something that had never been before and broke all paradigms. Can you imagine when people came to him and said, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. What's it for? Rain. What's rain? I don't even know, but God told me it's coming, and he told me to build an ark. And when that rain came down, it completely broke a paradigm, a way of thinking, something that never happened, something nobody had ever seen before. Same thing with Abraham when he left his family, when God said, leave your family. That was culture, family-oriented culture. To leave your family and go to a brand new land broke paradigms. It was a whole new way of thinking. When David was king, Israel had only had one other king. That was Saul before him. But all the culture and nations around them had kings. They knew That's why they wanted one. They wanted to be like the other nations. And they knew how kings acted and the protocol for being a king and how kings behaved. And when David got out in the middle of the street and tore off his kingly garments and danced like a wild man, his wife looked out the window and snubbed her nose and said, kings don't act like that. He broke paradigms. Jesus is all about breaking paradigms. When John the Baptist came and began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he wasn't preaching to uh, some of them, but most of them were not murderers and rapists and thieves. They were people like you and me. And he was saying, change the way you think. That's what that word repent means. Change the way you think, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the very first message that Jesus ever preached was repent. Change the way you think, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But then when the crowds came, that was when he first went out to the villages. Then when the first big crowd showed up and he sat down on the mount, he's still changing the way we think. And at the very beginning where you have what's called, the, he, that was the Sermon on the Mount, and the Beatitudes, what does he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. That word poor means you're hungry and you know it. You're poor and you know it. Basically, he's saying, blessed are you when you always understand your need for more of God. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Stay hungry like what you're singing about. Blessed are you, blessed are the meek. Humility. Humility is everything. You won't have grace without humility. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. Blessed are the humility. The, the, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. Keep your junk out as much as possible. Keep your junk out. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. And all of the other. That's a whole new paradigm Jesus is bringing now. A whole new way of thinking. A whole new paradigm. 
And he is constantly and always, even in the way he dealt with, uh, we read the New Testament and, and things in the New Testament, and because it's, to a degree, part of our culture, we don't see the significance of it. But women back in those days were nothing. They were property. They had no rights. And the way that women are constantly mentioned around Jesus and the voice that he gave them and the place that he gave them was breaking major cultural paradigms. Eaten with the sinners was breaking major cultural paradigms. Jesus is all about breaking paradigms. Um, I think, go to the next, the next scripture. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. By the way, let me put a plug in here while I'm thinking about it. Hannah's teaching her Bible study Tuesday nights at 6 at her house about our minds, about our thoughts. So that's, what, that's helpful. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, when you read this into the King James and some of these words, when it says let God transform you, some of you know this, that word transform is the same word that's used of Jesus when he went to the top of the mount with the three apostles and, he, and, the, and the glory of God came over him so bright they could hardly look at him. That's the same. He was transformed before them. That's that same word. So it, it's the word metamorphosis, which is the word we use to describe what happens when a, when a um, caterpillar goes into a cocoon and comes out a, a butterfly. That's that same word completely changed and brand new. Completely new. That word new is not better. It's completely brand new. It's not a better version. It's a new version. There's another word for new in the New Testament, and that's not it. This is a brand new us that he wants to constantly be changing us into. And it says in the New Testament that you can prove the, perfect, the will of God. That word prove is when you want to test something for its quality of it. For instance, if you want to say, here, I want to show you this. Look what this can do. And you do it, and you prove what it can do. That's that word. You can prove the will of God. You get to know your mind is transformed. You can get a step out there and do it, and you prove it, and it works. And that's what God wants us to do, to constantly learn, grow, and understanding and revelation of his will so that we can do it, that we can prove it, that we can test it. Now, it takes some guts, y'all. It takes some courage or faith. Faith is spelt, I heard someone say, faith is spelt R-I-S-K. <laughs> Amen. So that's the, that, that's the scripture. So um, the next scripture, and I want to go back to this thing about paradigms. Every time there's a new season, see, I don't know if you all know this, and I'm, and I'm sure you do. We are in a new season as a church, as a nation, and as a world. All the tumult going on right now is, to, is because of the change of seasons. You know, every bit of it, now it's a whole new message I got. We're not going to go there, but everything is all about getting this earth ready for Jesus to come back. Every bit of it. But the enemy tries to come in there, obviously. But let me look at the scripture. Everything I prophesied has come true, and now I will prophesy again. This is God speaking. I prophesied it. It's come to pass. Now I'm going to prophesy some more. I will tell you the future before it happens. Sing a new song to the Lord. There's that word new is a brand new song. 
Every time there's new seasons, there's new songs. There's new songs. Sing his praises from the ends of the earth. Sing all who sail the seas, all you who live in distant towns. Let the villages of Kedar rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Shout praises from the mountaintops. Let the whole world glorify the Lord. Let it sing his praises. And let me tell you this about paradigms and new seasons. Do you know the hymns that we sang for years and years and years in the church that you find in hymnals? When they were, most of those, uh, if not the majority of them, if not all of them, were written in the time of a lot of them of um, John um, West, Wesley, Charles Wesley, George. They wrote those, the, those hymns. And, uh, and they were, that was a new season in the church going on at that time. There was revival. If you know anything about church his, history, which is wonderful to learn about, there was a revival going on, started in England, in Wales, and it came over to the States. There was a huge revival going on. God was changing paradise again. Those hymns that we now almost consider boring, put us to sleep sometime, but the words are amazing. They're amazing. Um, we're taking, this, the melodies were bar songs that they put words to, and it caused such a tumult and controversy in the church world because they were using bar songs, and they were rejected by the religious establishment, which is why they went out in the fields to preach and started their own, ended up starting the Methodist church. And the Baptist church, I believe, if I'm correct, was born out of those kind of, that kind of revival because it was rejected. Now, we sang those hymns. When I got saved, we were singing hymns. Every church, and I think I've shared this before, and you, the, many of you remember this, it, when I got saved in 1973 at the old age of 18, <laughs> just about turned 19, I mean, every church in America started at 10 and ended at 11, and we sang out of hymns. And then there was a move of the Holy Ghost, and worship, the new song, was being birthed. Worship was being birthed. People were not satisfied with the hymns that had no anointing on them. They were good words, but there was no more anointing. It was religious dead works, and they wanted to worship God freely, and they didn't want to have to do it in five-minute limitations. They wanted the freedom to worship till the Holy Ghost was done. And they begin to add guitars throughout the organ. And here was the big one that caused, I remember this, drums and, and a contemporary sound. And what did they call that when that first came out? Do y'all remember? The devil beat. That, remember that? They said it came from Africa and it was demonic and it was devilish and get it out of the church. And it caused an uproar. I remember that. Because I had just gotten saved. And I didn't like listening to the old hymns. I liked this new music. It was speaking to my heart and to my spirit. Because it's what God was doing on the earth today. It was a new song he was break, bringing. And it was breaking paradigms. And it was the devil. But my spirit was saying, no, it's not. There's nothing in scripture that can back that up that says this is wrong. Of course, now we, you know, it's progressed to where it is today. But even today, just a couple weeks ago, I write about it again. You just see these articles pop up and things. This, the worship today is new age and mysticism. <laughs> That's what they call. That's what they call Bethel worship, some people. Because it has a sound fit from similar to the new age music. It's caused controversy. It's changed paradigms. This whole thing about paradigms and being free and, and looking for the expression of the Spirit 
There's the new songs coming. What I especially loved when I was studying this out, it talks about this song going all over the world today. Look at what the internet has done. We are all, you can go to any country in the world now and sing the same songs we're singing here. It's brought such a unity of the body of Christ through these worship, through the song, through the song. So, but you know, people want to say, like we read in the first scripture, the old is better. The old is better. And you know, there's always a counterfeit. You know, when Moses stood before Pharaoh and uh, he had his rod and, and, he sp- and he threw his rod down and it turned into a snake and, God, and the Pharaoh called his musicians in and he knew his magicians could do the same thing. Why did he know that? They'd done it before. The devil has a counterfeit that looks a lot like. And so th- we want to say because it looks like that, it can't be God. But of course, we know what the difference was with Moses' snake. He ate Pharaoh's snake. He ate the magician's snake. And there finally came a point where they couldn't do that anymore. God will always show himself out. So let's just, and, and let's just look at some principles of change. Looking at the next scripture, Joshua 3, 2, and 4. And we're going to, this isn't going much farther, much longer. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Now, we know this. Yeah, not good? They were going from the wilderness into their promised land. This is a whole new change and whole new paradigm. One of the first things they did up to this point for 40 years in the wilderness, they built the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God's presence dwelt. The Ark of the Covenants was in the middle of them. Every time God, and they were led by a cloud and by fire. That's how they were led. And every time they moved, they followed the cloud and they followed the fire and the Ark of the Covenant stayed right in the middle. Now God's saying, I'm going to lead you in a different new way. I'm going to break your paradigms. You're not going to be led. Now they were transitioning from a wilderness to the promised land. You're not going to be led by fire and by cloud. No more of this supernatural goosebumps. We're going to grow up a little bit. From now on, you're going to be led by the ark, by the presence of God. Inside the ark was the tablets of, of stone, God's word was manna that fell from, pre- from heaven, God's provision, and was Aaron's ba- bud that, that, that budded, God's anointing and leadership and authority. Those things will lead you. That's where God's presence dwells, and they will lead you. Leadership and authority is an ugly word in our world today, isn't it? But the New Testament has lots to say about it. I'll test your heart, won't it? You can see what happened in the wilderness. We won't go into it. That's another lesson about all that. But that's part of where the, anointing, where the anointing lies. But there's a witness of the Spirit, okay? This isn't blind leading the blind, leading them in the ditch, all right? God gives everybody buddy leaders, witnesses of the Spirit. We're all responsible for God, for our, own, for our, for our walk with Jesus. So... He says, first of all, you've never traveled this way. The Ark of the Covenant's going to go by you. So they're led by a new way. 
He says, remove from your place. He says, pull yourself up and go on to this, go on and follow after it. And that word in the King James and the words they use in the King James, it literally means pull yourself up and move forward. That was a decision they had to make. And so that you can, when it says here, they will guide you in the King James, it says that you will know the way. He says, I want you to become familiar and I want you to understand and I want you to perceive this new way and where we're going. So he wants every believer to be involved in the process, not just blind leading the blind. Every believer understand, every believer know, every believer have a spirit of what God is saying and what is doing. Does that make sense? We're all responsible. That's part of the maturing process. Since you've never traveled this way before, and in uh, and, and the New King, in the King James, it says you've never passed this way. That word "passed" means you've never gone beyond this place. It, it's a word indicating forward movement. You've never gone beyond this point. Never gone beyond this point. How many of us can say that today? Never gone beyond this point. Never done this, never seen this, never heard this, never gone beyond this point. That's what he's saying. This is all brand new. And he had new provision on the other side of that Jordan River. In the wilderness, bread fell from heaven. On the promised land, you know, all of us were talking about wanting that promised land. Guess what comes with promised land? Responsibility. They had to sow their seed and they had to grow their crops. In the wilderness... It was a time of testing. It talks in Deuteronomy that Jesus said, you're in this wilderness because I'm testing your hearts. Uh, they didn't all pass the test, did they? It was a test of hearts. Those who failed the test didn't pass over. But in the promised land, it was about giants. And it was about inheritance. And it was about others. It was about the kingdom. The focus changed from all about me which is the huge thing that I know that Jesus is breathing on because we're such a me-centered, my thinking, my way, what I know, what I like, what I'm, you know, the whole thing about, you know, are we coming because we're hungry or because our favorite preacher is preaching? <laughs> me, me, me. He's saying it's coming from, it's moving from a me-centered mindset into a kingdom mindset others mindset now jesus is always going to be our shepherd we never lose that in our personal time with god you can't go out and do anything for jesus if you're not doing your one-on-one -on -one relationship with him you know what i'm saying when i get up in the morning and have my time with god it's me and jesus but when i move out when i live my daily life it's about purpose it's about obedience it's about taking that promised land for the generations to come it's about establishing his kingdom. And then another thing that happened after they crossed over, Joshua, right before they took the, took the um, Jericho, he's out in the wilderness by himself, and he encounters the Lord of hosts. And his first thing Joshua says, he doesn't know who he is, and he says, are you for us or against us? Because you know that land's full of enemies. And God says, all right, that's, the question isn't... if." I'm for you or against you. I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. It's not if you're on my side, if I'm on your side, it's if you're on my side. If you're on my side, we need a new revelation of the captain of the Lord of hosts because it is a war. 
it is a war and you have an enemy. And there's somehow in our walk that we've got to be able to distinguish and discern when we're going through something, how, how when it's not all about us. When it's the enemy trying to keep you back from your purpose. When, when he doesn't want you overtaking the giants in the land. personal testimony about I don't think I'm going to go there I mean you just sometimes you go through warfare and you realize this isn't about me at all this isn't about me at all this isn't about me at all and you've got to recognize that and not give in to the immaturity of our soul and the emotions of our soul you do what it's right you do what's right whether you feel like it or not because there's an enemy that's trying to hold you back and keep you from, from moving on and you have a change of identity. You know, in the wilderness, they said to Moses, they didn't want to go into the, you know, in the promised land, is we're grasshoppers in their eyes. Well, they said they were in the eyes of the enemy, and the guys, they didn't want to go over because they said they see us as grasshoppers. Well, that's because they saw themselves as grasshoppers. So the very first thing, before they could even go into the promised land, um, all the men had to be circumcised. I'm sorry, men. <laughs> all the men had to be circumcised. And the Bible says to roll off the reproach of Israel, of Egypt. Roll off that sin mentality like what Cornell is talking about. Roll off the sin mindset. Roll off the weakness old mindset. Roll off the carnal mindset. Realize who you are in Christ. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are a child of God. I want to close with that song too, Will, if you don't mind. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are a child of God. You've got to know your identity. And that is the number one thing the enemy goes after. What did he say to Adam and Eve? Did God truly say? He wants you to eat that fruit because then you'll be like him. They were already like him. God had made them in his image. He attacked their identity. What did he do to Jesus in the wilderness? If you are the son of God. He was the son of God. And he does that to us. He attacks your identity. Because you are not this, you can't do this. Because we do what we believe we can, who we are. I teach because I am a teacher. He attacks your identity. So they had to have a new identity when they entered into the, promise, in, into the end of the promised land. You have to know who you are, and you have to have a warring mentality. And now just closing, I want to talk about when you're dealing with the pressure and uncertainty of change. When we're facing giants, sometimes the pressure is on, isn't it? And I didn't write this scripture out, and I'm just going to tell you this story because it's too long to read. But 2 Chronicles 20 talks about Jehoshaphat, and it was a time when Israel was surrounded by enemies and didn't know what to do. And King Jehoshaphat called them all together, and he prayed, and he said this, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Keep your eyes on him. Cry out to God, keep your eyes on him. And then God spoke, and he used a prophet, and he said, stand. What? I'm sorry. Stand and you shall see the salvation of God. And then they went out the next morning. And I love this. The prophet said, believe the prophets. 
sounds self-serving, doesn't it? But he said, believe God's prophets, believe the prophets. And it says, believe in the faithfulness of God. And you will see it. And then he said, now talking about changing paradise, they didn't set the warriors out in front. They set the praisers out in front. Because we don't war against flesh and blood. Our warfare is in the demonic, in the heavenly realms against demonic powers. And praise is our greatest weapon. There's another teaching that, you know, going to the end of Psalms 140 to 150, you see all about how praise is our weapon. So he set them out in front. He put the praisers and the singers and the dancers out in front. So, you, so when you're facing giants and in times of uncertainty, you, look for, you listen for the word of the Lord. But then it, when he talked about, and remember God and his faithfulness is what it says. We remember God what he says he is by his word. You remember the word. You go back to this. This is the rock. This is the rock. Like what Bill said earlier, this is the rock. When you're facing pressure and uncertainty, go back to the word. What does the word say about your situation and who is God? He is good, faithful. He's our father. We are more than a conqueror. We are victorious. We are hidden in Christ. We are seated with him in heavenly places. We are more than conquerors through him that loves him. Now, let me tell you this. This only works if we're on his side. You see people throwing those scriptures around for their own self-serving purposes. This works when we're on his side, and it's true, and it's word. I do that. I judge myself by that a lot. If the word's not working, am I on the right side? Am I hearing from God? Am I doing the right thing? But that's his measuring standard. That's his measuring standard. And then the, just want to close with these two last scriptures. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh how great the depth are how oh how great or the depth is King James are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand or know all His decisions and ways. We'll never come to the end of who God is. We'll never come to the end of who God is of knowing who God is. And then Revelations four eight. The last one says, each of them, we're talking about in the throne room. This is describing the throne room. Each of these living beings, these huge angels, had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out, day after day, and night after night. They kept, keep on saying, holy, 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 holy. See how God, the Holy Spirit, has just orchestrated this? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and is to come. Do you know why they could constantly always fall on their face and say holy? Because they had eyes all over them. They were constantly seeing something new and something different. The new measure of his holiness. A new measure of who. For eternity they will be doing that. For eternity. Holy, holy. Seeing something. I used to remember I telling that one time when I was leading, leading our youth group back in Dublin and and, uh, and we were just having like a revival in, in the church. And I mean, praise and worship was through the roof. And they didn't understand why, you know, all this craziness people, you know, when they get into praise and worship. And I said, well, it's like this. When you walk into, you, get, you walk into a big, beautiful home and you walk into the foyer. and Oh, my gosh, it's beautiful. And you go, oh, wow, look at this. Look at this. And they got the chandelier and all the, you know, foliage and all the decorative. And it's beautiful. And then you move and you walk outside of the foyer and you go in the living room and you go, 
look at this. And this beautiful. Oh, my gosh. And then you go into the living room. You go into the kitchen. Oh, my gosh. Look at these counters. And look, you know what I'm saying? God's like that. So much more. Yes. So much bigger than we can ever see and ever know. And we are on the verge of a new season. <laughs> yeah. Where God wants to teach us new things. Break paradigms. Break paradigms. See new things. Break paradigms. We've got to be led by a new way. We gotta know who we are. We gotta know who we are. Why don't we stand? Let's just worship him. You can sing that or anything you feel led, brother, but let's just worship him. And let's open ourselves up to what God wants to do and what God wants to say and where he's moving and what he's doing in this hour and in this time. And let's just purpose and commission in our hearts. We are not going to be left behind. No, 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 no. We are not going to be left behind. We are not going to fall in the wilderness in Jesus' name. In Jesus.